0: Hello, this is Sean Dixon and I'm here with Brian Patterson and John Gonzalez. We are each return mission presidents for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and this is the Preach My Gospel mission prep podcast. We are here to help prepare you to become successful Preach My Gospel missionaries and lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. In each episode, we explore powerful concepts from every chapter in Preach My Gospel. We will talk to return missionaries and others about their experiences and insights. You can even use this podcast to get Institute credit. Let's get started. Hello friends, we're grateful that you've joined us for another episode of the podcast and we're really looking forward to exploring today's important topic with you. As always, if you find this episode or any of the previous ones helpful, please share the link with your friends who you think would also benefit and leave us a review on one of the places where you listen to your podcasts. Uh, this subject today is, is one that I, I think is just absolutely critical for, for pre-missionaries to understand as well as missionaries in the field. Um, I, I always have this analogy in mind of, of a missionary is kind of like a car, and they have four tires. One of the tires is their spiritual health. Another tire is their physical health. Another one is like intellectual health, and then this other one is, is a mental and emotional health health tire and i found that if any of those tires go flat the car doesn't move very well right and so it's so essential to keep each of those tires inflated it's not just a, a spiritual journey that missionaries are on but each of these aspects are so important and so today we wanted to to focus on the the tire of mental and emotional health and we're so grateful to to have brought in a, a special guest today Jonathan Sandberg to to help us understand and, and better explore this episode. And Brian, I know you and Jonathan go back a long ways, are close friends. You served in a stake, yeah, YSA stake presidency together, right? That's right. And I've never called him Dr. Jonathan no. Sandberg, but no. I probably should here. No. But uh, uh,
1: Jonathan is a dear friend. Uh, what a presidency. I just took notes and learned. And uh, honestly, I would not have wanted to serve as a mission leader without having spent a significant amount of time with, with Jonathan and just learning and gleaning from his uh, his experience, his understanding, uh, especially of, of things pertaining to mental health. Jonathan is a professor of marriage and family therapy. Um, in the School of Family Life at BYU. We're at UVU right now, so it's the school down <laughs> south, <right? laughs> It's a great it's, school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> most of you are familiar with, with BYU. Uh, Jonathan has a, just a beautiful family, a wonderful wife, four children, and, uh, and they've been busily uh, getting them married off, it seems. <laughs> uh, uh, to, to Sharon's credit, Jonathan and Sharon served as uh, mission leaders in the California uh, Bakersfield mission, and To Sharon's credit, she planned two weddings, and I think she probably did most of that, right? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Jonathan. But uh, Jonathan served uh, in the Bakersfield, uh, California Bakersfield mission from 2019 to 2022. So you're just hot off the press. Just got back. uh, Yeah, coming back and uh, served during the height of COVID, which boy, if I I think I can see the hand of the Lord in that. (laughs) You would have been an amazing mission president uh, during that. Crucial time and, and challenging time, I'm sure. And perhaps uh, you might draw from, from that experience as we're here together. But uh, anything you'd add to uh, just let, let us get to know you a little bit, Jonathan?
2: You bet. Well, I am uh, healthy and alive. This isn't a funeral. So uh, <laughs> I appreciate, appreciate the kind words. But um, um, I just really wish it would have worked out that Sharon could have been here. and And maybe at a future time we can have a conversation mm-hmm. because right. the sister mission leaders just see mental health in a, in a different way, a really valuable way. And maybe sometime we can make that happen, but I'll miss her today. And I was thinking back, um, I think mental health and missions is, is important in my life, even goes back to my own family. And uh, having a sibling who, who had some really difficult struggles on his mission and, and nearly lost his life, I think that impacted me tremendously. And then when we lived in New York, we had a really progressive mission present before adjusting to missionary life or any of these things. And I started seeing missionaries in the field in therapy probably 20-some years ago. And so it's been a a topic that's really important to me. Uh, And then, of course, serving a mission during COVID, which was hard on everyone's mental health. So (laughs) I'm glad to be here today. And this is an important topic. And I know young people and parents care deeply about it. And, And the world we live in has a lot of unique anxieties, right, as president Nelson mentioned. So hopefully we can be helpful today.
0: Yeah, thank you. We thought as we brainstormed about how we could we could cover this topic to perhaps do it in two different uh, segments. Uh, one would be uh, to speak about mental health before the mission and what parents and and youth can be doing right now to prepare themselves for the mental and emotional experience that they'll have as missionaries. And then a second part would be mental health on the mission. So as you anticipate serving on your mission, what can you do while you're on your mission to to increase your your mental health? So let's just jump into that yeah. that first sure. topic if it's okay, mental health before the mission.
2: Thank you. I just want everyone to know out there that everyone has real heartache and pain, you know, and those things affect our mental health. When I was about 2 years old my sister died and um she was sick and probably had RSV and went to bed one night, and my parents decided to wait till the morning to take her to the doctor, and she died in her sleep. And that was really hard on my parents. And my mom said to me one time, you know, good parents don't let their children die uh, in a moment of real candor and honest pain. And a few years later after that, I was actually abused by a babysitter in a pretty significant way. And so uh, there were other deaths in my family too, and I think coming out of my childhood... I never had the idea that um, life was safe. Hard, hard things happen. My parents did the best job they knew how, but uh, and I love them and appreciate them. I, if they were here, that adds some really insightful things to that. But sometimes missionaries have struggles because some things have happened in their lives that are really difficult and adverse. And it's important to talk about those things. It's important to get help with those things. Um, I'm 52 now. I'm married. We have four kids. There isn't one aspect of my childhood that doesn't help me today. I don't sit around in pain today. Though I did have years of pain and confusion at times. And so all the things that happen can be consecrated for our good by the Savior. We've got to turn to him. We've got to talk to other people about it. It's hard when sometimes we feel really bad because of specific events. Some mental health problems are biological. Some are psychological. We have some stinking thinking we've got to clean up but sometimes they're related to circumstances. And we need help. We need help dealing with hard circumstances, especially when we're young. And we can heal and have happy, great lives just because something tragic happened or somebody did something evil in our lives doesn't determine the course of our lives. We can do, we can do whatever we want to do with God's help. And the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we'll need help. And, and getting help takes courage and takes humility. So I hope as we listen today that we recognize it takes courage and humility to get help.
3: Why is it that mental health in and of itself has a negative, it has baggage? If I have a a physical challenge, Mm -hmm. I accept it to to one degree and it's, it's not as negative as if I just, you know, I have this mental health challenge or I'm emotionally challenged here.
2: Sure. Um, just to give you an example, uh, I was putting up Christmas lights and um, I fell off the ladder off the roof and um, shattered my ankle and I went to take a step and I could just, I just knew something's not right. It's just like, I won't go into the details, but it wasn't right. <laughs> and, you know, I went and I got a lot of treatment and help and I got surgery and I got physical therapy and I had lots of help. I had accommodations. I had a parking pass closer to camp, you know, all the way through the whole process. Nobody expected me to walk on a shattered ankle. It just, it doesn't work. I can't, I couldn't do it. All I can describe is the moment I stepped, I said, that's not going to (laughs) work. I just, I just knew. But I think there's two things. One is that we are in the Western part of the United States here in Utah, for those that are here. And pioneer stock says, you do really hard things. And no matter how you feel, you do them and you make it through. And then second, religious people who are righteous are supposed to be happy. Now both of those things aren't true, but but we think that we think that we're weak and we're unrighteous if we're not happy all the time, which is you know so not true. Abraham Lincoln, I mean, George Albert Smith had severe depression. Fifth or sixth president of the church, it's not true, but it's something we buy into. Um, in in some ways, if you live in a country that is a third world country, you don't have depression; you just have life. We have dictators, we have poverty, we have crime. I might get thrown out of my apartment today. Everyone has it, everyone knows. And so you live with it. But in first world countries like this, it's confusing. Because I have all these things, I should be happy, therefore I'm ungrateful or I'm bad. But the bottom line is, you can have asthma or diabetes or anxiety. They can all have biological determinants and they can all be treated. And you can pray all you want, but if you have biological depression, God's not just going to take that away. He's going to say, I've created modern medicine. Go get some help.
3: And the, and the challenge is, if I have diabetes, I feel very comfortable sharing with you, I can't eat that because mm-hmm. I have diabetes. Yeah. But if I'm suffering from a mental health condition, yeah. I keep it to myself, which in and of itself, I'm assuming, creates another challenge. Yes, it does.
2: Yeah, it does. Especially if, if in... If in my family or your family, we don't talk about that stuff. We just don't do that stuff. And so lots of times missionaries go on missions and for the first time get a language and a a name and a diagnosis and an approach to deal with something they've known for a long time, but they've never really been able to talk
1: about. Mental health comes in in many different forms or many different levels. How would you kind of categorize the different levels that you'd you'd notice in in missionaries or in pre-missionaries in that way?
2: So there's this gem, it's called Adjusting to Missionary Life. You'll get it in the MTC, but you can find it right now on the Gospel Library app. You can buy it at the distribution center. You can just Google PDF Adjusting to Missionary Life. But on the Gospel Library app, it's under Handbooks and Callings and then under Missionary Callings. And that's where a ton of great stuff is. It's just one of the manuals there. Maybe it's a great time just to reference this great book, Adjusting to Missionary Life. I think they've tried really hard to create a little model on page six. It's this little fellow who's a missionary and he's green, yellow, orange, or red, right? He's in good mental health shape. He's in, he's struggling a little bit. He's falling apart and he's, he's a disaster, right? So I I like to think about mental health just in terms of functionality. Every missionary I've ever talked to has had red days and red weeks in the mission where they're not sure they can do it. If they have another week like this, they don't want to be on a mission. And I had those experiences as a missionary. I said, so I can't have another day like this. <laughs> and, and some days I went to bed and I said to Sharon, I can't believe I'm alive. And I'm not exaggerating or trying to be silly. That's just life. But when those things string together and when I have trouble functioning, I have trouble getting out of bed, um, I can't eat or I can't sleep, um, and I lose my energy, I can't think clearly, and that happens consistently, then you have a mental health problem that needs to be addressed. Now, if you're having a really bad day, you do have to review your day and say, is there anything I can do differently tomorrow? Sometimes the answer is no. You know, if you have five lessons planned and that's huge for your mission and, and all five cancel, you're going to have a tough mental health day. But when that strings together and that becomes a pattern and I can't function, that's when I have a mental health problem I need help with. Don't make it moral. <laughs> Don't make it ethical or legal. It's just functional. And if I can't breathe, i got to take my asthma medicine right? It's just, it's just that simple. So I think I look at it in three categories. I'm doing pretty well. I'm having a tough day and it will pass. I got a pattern here and something's got to change because it's not sustainable. That's kind of the three levels I look at.
0: So I think, uh, uh, Jonathan, maybe we can just address this, this question. What is mental health and, and why, does it, why does it really matter? You
2: bet. Now for the young folks, this is going to matter, but for us old folks, it does. When you go to the doctor, they do a blood draw for your physical and they look at markers. Right, where's your blood sugar, where's your cholesterol, right? They look at markers, and there's markers for mental health too. And markers for mental health are things like, how much energy do I have? How well am I sleeping? What's my appetite like? Uh, if we were to hook up to a little machine that could rate your heart rate, what's your heart rate at? like? Is it, is it always at 120, or are you always stressed out? Right. So mental health is the components of my emotional and psychological well-being that are just as important as my physical well-being. And how am I doing? Am I running low on fuel? Is the metaphor Elder Holland used? Am I running low on fuel? Do I need an oil change? We have that on our mental health side as well as our physical health side. And we all know things that help us physical health. Stop eating Doritos for breakfast, right? We know that. You know, I eat, I eat Ben and Jerry's for breakfast. So I feel crummy. That's just that's just how it is. And for for mental health, we need to spend some time outside. We need daylight. Uh, we need to figure out how to breathe, and that sounds silly, but just learning how to breathe deeply from the diaphragm calms you down. We need good relationships for our mental health, so, so mental health is like physical health; it's a component of our well-being that has to be nurtured. And if we don't nurture it, then it can wither and die. Yeah.
0: So, if you were to think of of some things that you could do t- that would be helpful to cope with your mental health issues, versus things that would not be helpful, yeah. what what would what would you teach us there? Okay. Not
2: picking on any young person, but there's this great clip I show students that says, when I play video games, I feel good. I forget I have a house. I forget I have a dog. I forget I have siblings. And then whenever I'm stressed, if I can just play video games, I feel better. That's an example of unhealthy coping. That's escaping. Another example, looking at pornography. Another example, I just eat a plate of brownies, right? Netflix binging. These, anything we do to escape from our problems and adds additional burden. So for example, if I look at pornography afterwards, I feel bad about myself and I lose the spirit, right? If I play video games all night and don't do my homework, then the next day I'm going to go to class and I fail the test. It has consequences. So that's all unhealthy. The question I always ask people in therapy or on the mission is, why are you doing that? What's the purpose? Most of our behavior is purposeful. We're doing it for a reason, almost always. And they don't know at first. So I'll give you a, a, just a simple example. I was working with someone in therapy, and they had um, a relapse into pornography behavior. And I said, well, when did you look at pornography? I can't remember the day Let's say It was Tuesday. Well, why Tuesday? Well, I don't know. Well, why not Wednesday or Monday? What happened on Tuesday? Well, I don't know. So when was the first time on Tuesday? I usually say, I don't know. Is it good enough? You're not going to solve any problems with it. I don't know. So on Tuesday, when was the first time you thought about pornography? I was at work. Well, what were you doing at work? Oh well, you could see the light bulb click. I got a phone call from my boss and I had to double shift. The other person wasn't coming in. And so I have to double shift double shift, therefore I should look at pornography. I mean, what, what's the connection? I said to myself, I'm working, I don't remember where, at a yogurt shop. And I want to be a BYU student. I can't because I can't get an ecclesiastical endorsement because I can't stop looking at pornography. I'm going to be working double shifts in a yogurt shop for the rest of my life. This is what my life is. This is who I am. So why did you think about pornography right then? I guess because I didn't want to feel that. So you look at pornography because it's an escape. Okay, so now we know why. What could you do then instead? If a person can stop and say, I could look at pornography, I could, ma- I could masturbate. What else can I do? Then they've won. If they can do that. And then you help them develop a list and you have other behaviors they do. And you need some that are spiritual and you need some that are physical. Sometimes it just helps to go to the weight room. Just pump some iron for 30 minutes and you'll get that out of your system. But you need some emotional things. It's really good that you play the piano every time you're sad. But what are you sad about? Can you address the sadness? So what you have to do is you have to figure out why you're doing the behavior, and then you have to find alternative behaviors to deal with the issue, not to avoid the issue. Because all the stuff that's unhealthy is, healthy is, un- is escapism. It's just escapism.
3: And so if I'm struggling with that right now, the best thing to do is to reach out to someone to yep. say, help me process figure this. Figure out why I'm doing this. So yeah. that I can come up with positive coping mechanisms yep. that will enhance my ability to serve a great mission.
2: You're not a pervert, you don't have a quart high of testosterone, you're not the most sexual person that's ever been born. <laughs> I'm sorry you you're not that special, okay? <laughs> you're just dealing with you're just dealing with things in a pattern of escapism. Now, when I lived in other parts of the country, California, Kansas, New York, well, people just had a bunch of beer or just smoked a joint. That's how they escape, right? We're more prone to pornography because we don't there's an old Song, don't drink, don't smoke, what do you do, right? And so that, that's unique to us. We also hyper-exercise. You know, how many marathons do you need to run a year? <laughs> like I think nine's enough, okay? But you're, you're working out six hours a day to avoid something. So all of us have escaping behaviors, every single one of us, right? We just need, to, we're much more effective if we deal with the issue instead of try to escape from it. Because when you're done with the escaping behavior, guess what? It's still there, plus you feel bad about what you just did. Now you got that as well. We all do this. Every single person does this. And we just want to move more and more away from or do less and less escaping and more and more dealing with the problem. Healthy coping moves into the issue and tries to resolve the issue. Healthy coping looks like, I just had a conflict with my parents. I'm really mad. Instead of going and playing a video game where I can shoot up a thousand people and pretend it's my mom, Right? I go and I talk and I say, look, I didn't like how that turned out. Can we talk about it? I'm frustrated. And I resolve it. If I don't like how I'm doing in school, I go talk to a counselor or a tutor and I figure out how to deal with it. If if I don't like my body and I think my body is not healthy and happy, I, I don't try to remodel it through uh, substances or elective surgeries. I, I try to eat more healthy and, and maybe g- develop a workout program. So... Healthy coping is you move into the issue that's bothering you. Unhealthy coping is you distract and avoid,
3: and it's still there tomorrow. How do I adapt when perhaps maybe the relationship with my mother is difficult? And so it's not that easy to say, Mom, I have a problem. Or approaching my teacher just absolutely is terrifying.
2: Yeah. Third-party help. You get someone that can help you broker the conversation with your teacher You talk to your bishop or young women's leader and say, I don't really know how to talk to my mom. I get really mad every time. Can you give me some ideas? There's therapy. But third-party help is helpful. An outsider that can say, this is how you do it. I'll help you. I'll coach you.
0: That's great. I know that sometimes I found my missionaries, when they got stressed in the mission field, they would want to revert to the things that brought them comfort before the mission, and those things were now not available to them. That's right. Perhaps one of the things that they could do prior to the mission would be to find positive coping right. mechanisms that would be available to them on the mission. You bet. Any, any idea, Anything you would yeah. say to that point?
2: Let's say that I have a really good relationship with my dog, and when I'm stressed, I, I go outside and I throw a Frisbee to my dog or go on a walk. Totally healthy, totally legal. Just unfortunately, it's not available on the mission. It's not that it's a bad thing. It's that on a mission, I, I love this line one of our missionaries said. I used to think that a mission was very controlling. Now I realize a mission is just focused. A mission is focused on Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel with other people. The other things that we don't bring with us aren't bad. They're just not available. So one of the great things you could do in an adjusting, uh, preparing for a mission class or here on campus, what you could do is you could spend some time as a group identifying what resources for stress management do we have before the mission that we won't have on a mission. And what resources will we have on a mission? And start practicing some of those things. And they're all in Adjusting to Missionary Life. You can read them. But simple little things like, I need to learn how to really talk to God. When I'm frustrated, I need to talk to God and figure out how to get comfort from Him. I need to figure out how to serve people. The next time I'm really upset, what I can do is I can serve one of my brothers or sisters because one of the things I can do when I'm upset on my mission is serve my companion. So you got you got to practice those things before. I honestly believe them in the missionary program, the resources are limited intentionally, so our focus turns to our Father in Heaven and our Savior and receiving comfort from the Holy Ghost. And that, will sort, that sets a foundation for the rest of your life.
1: We, we've also got some parents, Jonathan, that are listening to this podcast and, 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 and want to help and assist and, and, and prepare their children to, to, to be successful, to serve a mission and so forth. Any, any thoughts that, that a parent might be able to do? To help their pre
2: missionary. So, in preparation for today, I spent a little time talking to someone who's a scholar of emerging adulthood, and he taught taught me this great principle. He said, We have to understand the difference between a trajectory of growth and a trajectory of dependency. So, I just want to explain what he said, because I thought it was so great. He said, There's behaviors we do and in patterns we engage with our children that increase their dependence on us. And the trajectory is decreased independence and increased dependence, less use of agency, less functionality. There's trajectories we have with our children that really prepare them to live separate from us as competent and healthy adults, and not be dependent on us. So the question we may ask ourselves, what's the trajectory? What, what, where is the, this headed in my relationship? Is my child gonna be in my basement in six years? playing video games, working a part-time job and having me do their laundry? Or in six years, is my child going to be functioning on their own, working, studying, married? And if we're honest with ourselves as parents, we'll see some patterns have to change because it's the trajectory we don't want. And if we can just thoughtfully reflect on that and replace our concerns about immediate needs with future needs, that will change the trajectory. Yes, our son needs to figure out how to graduate from his or move on from his sophomore year. That's the immediate need. But would it be okay if he failed this class? Would it be okay if he had to retake this class over the summer? What would that be what would the trajectory be like in 6 years versus if I go in and argue with the counselor and get a passing grade and move him along? And that's just one of a thousand examples. Don't let the immediate needs with your kids shape the trajectory. This is what my colleague said look at where you want them to be in five years and interact with them in that way. And I, I thought that was really helpful. So uh, let's parents let's fasten our seatbelts, okay? Let's just be honest <laughs> with each other, okay? Does every person here at this table have all had the experience of being a parent of a missionary? Yes. Okay. So it is a lot harder than I thought. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wasn't unkind to people who sent a child on a mission, but I didn't know. When <laughs> our son went on a mission, I'm all, this really hurts. Yeah. Why didn't anyone tell me? And our son went to Novosibirsk, Russia, and so that was when the, the service of a missionary there went from a missionary to a, full, a full-time service provider. just a kind of volunteer. Volunteer. Yeah. And, and he said, Dad, I went six months without teaching a lesson. Now, I'm not talking about getting someone to church. I'm talking about teaching a lesson. So they were just trying to find stuff to do every day, and you, we just didn't know. There's a lot of unknown. So the moment the child leaves, the preparation's over and you can't solve their problems. I know, you, I know you think you can because you're allowed to message them every day, which you shouldn't do, it's distracting. <laughs> Stop messaging them every day. Let them call you on Monday, right? But I talked with a friend yesterday who has some real experience in this area and it, he studies emerging adulthood. And I said to him, tell me about the difference between flourishing and fa- floundering as young adults. And he said the difference comes down to, I thought this was so interesting. The difference comes down to how much control a parent has or one of the elements. And so do we coach children or do we control children? So he has a son on a mission, a mission, missionary called. He's been about a month, and you know this story. I don't speak the language. My companion's doing all the teaching. I just sit there quietly. I cry myself to sleep a couple times, right? Mm-hmm. Which parent likes to hear that, right? That's super painful. But what he said was, I could either call the mission president and say, hey, you better do something because my son's hurting and my son shouldn't hurt. Control or coach. So, did you ask your companion to let you teach more? No. Would you be willing to do that? Okay, I can start there. That's coaching. I'm not trying to solve the problem, right? In the research, it's called cocooning versus pre arming. Cocooning means I see the world's really scary for my children. So I will protect them. I won't let anything bad happen to them. And I, I will limit all the external influences. They come home and they're mad about a class. I'll go to the teacher and get the the grade change, even though my child hasn't been to school in three weeks. But hey, no one's going to mistreat my child, right? I'm going to set up the appointment for them to go to the temple. I'm going to do my own temple prep class with them. I'm not going to allow them to go to the church room because I know how it can be taught by me. Control, control, control. And then a missionary comes to the MTC and they literally don't know how to put change or I guess it's a card now in the laundry machine. They actually don't know how to do their laundry. They, they literally don't know how. And worse yet, they don't know how to make choices and they're waiting for someone else to tell them what to do. That's the result of cocooning. The research is really clear. Children that are raised in cocooning situations when they have freedom, make poorer choices. So in high school, that'd be things like drug use, uh, sexual acting out because they haven't made choices along the way. So when they get choices, they go hog wild. I work at the MTC right now for a call, in my calling. And that's what can happen sometimes in the dorms after 9.30 at night. You see the missionaries that have been cocooned. It's a, it's a little out of control around the dorms, right?
3: Let's say that I f- I'm listening to this right now, and I feel like I've been cocooned. Yeah, My, my senses, my parents <laughs> control me, and I'm cocooned. <laughs> And and I want to break out of this, I want yeah. to serve a mission, I want to be successful. Yeah. But now I've just heard you say, gee, i am <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm done. I'm Maybe I have to act not. out. I'm I'm, I'm not <laughs> going now. Well, first of all, there are lots
2: of missionaries who were cocooned all their life and figured out it just takes longer and is more a little more painful at the beginning of their missions. But they figured out. Um so when our when our son and my and my wife when he was seventeen had a conversation and she would say that he wasn't as organized on his homework as he should have been. He would say that he ha- I got this, mom, right? My wife's favorite phrase, I got this. And he said this really insightful thing in love. It wasn't mean at all. He said, mom, you've been a great mom, but next summer I'll be on a mission and you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, he said, I could be in the middle of nowhere next year and you're not gonna be able to help me with things. So I have to do them this year, even if I do them bad. And there were some things he did poorly. Nothing out of the normal. I mean, he's just growing. And he's, by the way, he's, he's getting his PhD at Boston College right now. He's not a slacker. <laughs> but, um, but what, what happened did was Did he rehire his mother? <laughs> no, some, something changed in their dynamic. It was a turning point. And he did end up in the middle of Russia, in the middle of Siberia, you know, just like he said. So if you're the parent and you have a sick feeling in your stomach right now and you say, I'm doing this, but I'm terrified. I'm so afraid not to do it. Or you're the teenager, you got to sit down and have a conversation you got to say, we've got to be different. We've got six months left to the mission. We've got to be different. So the other is pre-arming. Pre-arming is, I have confidence in you. Here are the skills you need. This is how you can handle it. I know that you won't do it right all the time, but if you need help, ask, we'll help you. But you're on it, you're in charge of it, and it's your deal. And we're support staff. We're support staff. And, and then you, you know go in the other room and pray all night if you have to, but don't jump back in and take over. Let the kids Learn. Let them make mistakes. The more they learn and the more decisions they make before their mission, the better decisions they'll make on their mission. If the ratio is three dumb decisions for every 10, all you can do is log decisions. Then the ratio turns in your favor over time. Then it's two dumb decisions and it's one dumb decision to 10. (laughs) But if you're starting for the first time on your mission to make choices, you're going to make some dumb choices. I often said to missionaries, why are you doing that? I don't know, I guess I'm just a bad person. I said, no, you're young and you're dumb. Everybody was young and dumb. <laughs> it's, it's not a sin. It's just a developmental stage. But now you know better. And they'd say, that's right, that's right, that's right I'm not going to do that again. They said, that's all, that's all, learn and improve. It's my favorite phrase from the little booklet, another one of those little booklets, which is um, safeguards for using technology. Nobody expects you to use your phone perfectly. Learn and improve. But to learn and improve, you have to make choices. So parents you got to step back. Our home state president said, no one is allowed to receive the Melchizedek priesthood unless they call and make the appointment themselves. There will be no parents making appointments. If, you, if you're if you not mature enough to make your own appointment, you're not mature enough to receive the Melchizedek priesthood. So I think that little things like that make a difference.
1: And you know, I, I, I'm thinking of missionaries filling out their missionary papers, right? I'm looking back on mine. I think I was more hands-on on filling those out than maybe my children and and maybe give a little more space there right. and let them do it. And I can peer over the shoulder a little bit, right. you know. Support staff. <laughs> Support
2: staff. <laughs> Support staff. Yeah. I don't That's know crazy. if
3: I want my children to listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm. <laughs>
2: you know, if if I, I, my parents are both living, I'm grateful if they were sitting right here. We could talk about a lot of things that I did that was hurtful to them and mistakes they made they wish they wouldn't have made. I, kn- I know that. We've had that conversation. Nobody does it perfectly, Right. But one thing I got, especially from my mom, is I believe that you can do this. And I'm not going to do it for you, even though my behavior really didn't merit that kind of belief at first. I mean, I, 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 I can tell you I got kicked out of fourth grade, wasn't allowed to attend a fourth grade class until another teacher reluctantly took me in. I was asked not to go to primary unless my parents were present. And I had a lot of behavior problems. Just in those days, we didn't call it ADHD. My grandpa just said, your spirit's too big for your body, <laughs> right? But but somehow my mom said, they're wrong about you. You're a good person. And I can remember that today when nobody believed in me. And uh, if you don't believe in your child, your behavior shows it. You can say whatever you want, but if you micromanage and hover, you say, you're not competent. I don't believe in you. And that's that's a tough mental health message. Now, you may go in the other room and, lift a steamy eye towards heaven and utter a few swear words about some of their behavior, but you don't have to do it in front of them. You don't have to do it in front of them. And it's important because they can't grow and develop without the ability to make choices.
0: I think inherent in this issue that you're talking about is sometimes the unhealthy way we view mistakes and failure. Yes. We see it as, Oh, that's just something that's not permissible. I can't ever make mistakes. Remember when my wife was a preschool teacher, their their theme of their preschool was mistakes are how we learn. Well, that's great. And that was teaching preschool kids. But I think that, that theme can be passed on through the years. And maybe the reason why someone who feels inclined to hover is that they can't tolerate any mistakes. But, you know, it's it's those moments that we fall down that that, that, that fall can become one of our greatest teachers and we insulate people from Some of the greatest mentoring and tutoring they can have when they make a mistake, they feel the pain and they say to themselves, I don't want to feel that anymore. Or they get a bad grade and they're like, oh, I can't just binge videos and and expect to get a good grade. But if but if they've been protected from that lesson, then they're going to go on and and they're going to have to learn it the hard way later, maybe in the mission field or when they're in their career or something else later, right?
2: I, I had multiple conversations. You're exactly right. I had multiple conversations with missionaries where I said, as loving as I could, has anyone ever told you this? Whatever the feedback was. No. And I just remember one sister, so insightful. She said, I'm so tired of my companions not liking me. I have to change something. I said, well, we, we, we talked about the behavior that had to change, and heaven knows we all have to change behaviors. She wasn't unique in that way. But I remember the agony on her face when she realized that what she was doing to other people was not nice. And it, you know, it would have been nice if someone had told along the way, you can't say that to people. Or you can't do that. She figured it out. She was great. I mean, she was great. But that's a, that's a painful lesson if it's the first time in your life you receive feedback. And one of the, you mentioned it perfectly, one of the things we do when we cocoon is we don't let uh, people, children in particular, wrestle with their mistakes and learn from them. And there's nothing bet. well, I say in therapy all the time, people don't change until they have to, all of us. And we have to when we're so unhappy, we're not willing to do it anymore.
3: A, A young person who is getting ready to serve a mission, is there not a balance for me to start to learn how to share with you, here's how I'm feeling, and at the extreme, wait a minute, you're sharing too much now.
2: Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I like what my child development friends say is you start letting kids make choices when they choose which clothing to wear. And they wear something that doesn't match to fifth uh, to fourth grade, that's okay. Because they'll figure it out by seventh grade. <laughs> I mean, life, life will teach them, you know. And some kids over-disclose, and it pushes friends away. Some never share what they're feeling, and so they don't have any friends, they don't have any connection. So you say to them... You know, if you would talk a little bit more about what you think and feel, people would feel more comfortable around you. Or do you know you talked for nine minutes in a row and no one else talked? You might learn how to ask some questions, right? That's the feedback we have to give people. But yeah, we do it developmentally. They should have minimal freedoms and choices at age four, progressing to maximum choices and freedom by age 18, right? And it, it's developmental. And it's different for each child. If you've had multiple children, you know right? It's different for each child. Some are overwhelmed by choices and are so hard on themselves and so perfectionistic. Others consistently make choices that hurt themselves and others. So you have to navigate that. That's not easy.
3: For an individual who's listening to this, who's getting ready to serve a mission, would it be helpful for them to start getting into adjusting for missionary life and just digesting that and understanding that? So yeah. they can assess themselves where they are now. They may need to reach out and uh, get some help yeah. before they leave.
2: Before Brian and I served together, I spent about seven years in uh, Young Men's. And then right after we got released, I spent another year. I would go back and do things differently. I'd be much better in Young Men's now after having been a mission leader. But yeah, I would have adjusting to missionary life and safeguards for using technology my curriculum once they turned 11. I would use it always. Here's how you make healthy choices. Here's how you manage your emotions, and here's how you use technology in your life safely. I don't know if it's true, but I heard a rumor that they were going to make an adjusting to missionary life version that's just called adjusting to life for the general membership. I really hope they do,
1: because yeah. you really could take adjusting to missionary life and apply it to life. You know, I I, I would tell my missionaries when they got home. Just cross it off like, right. rather than adjusting to missionary life, adjusting to post-mission life or adjusting to college life or adjusting to, to roommates, yeah. right? Adjusting to marriage, yeah. adjusting to having children. That's right.
0: It's all the same principles, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I was in my office yesterday with a, a young man who was really struggling, and we just uh, he, he had a real problem with his thoughts. Everything about his thoughts would con- he was just constantly condemning himself. Yeah, it's hard. Telling himself he's not good enough. And I said, "Hey, let's go into this resource, adjusting to missionary life." And I took him to the section on talking back to negative thinking. So good. Showed him the skill about how to draw a little T chart. Here, let's just write down your thoughts, and then over here, let's let's adjust your thought from a faithful perspective. And he saw that. And he's like, "Where do I get this booklet?" Yeah. And and he got really really excited about having this resource available to him.
2: Yeah, this is page 21 in Adjusting Missionary Life, Talking Back to Negative Thinking. Yeah, That's straight cognitive therapy, like the best cognitive therapy in the world, like the best books that you have to pay lots of money to go do. It's right here, page 21, Applied for Missionaries. Yeah, Let me just, John, go back to something you said. Maybe it'd be helpful if we kind of divide for those those young people thinking of going on missions into three groups. One group is, I, I currently don't have any mental health issues. But I'm probably going to have some struggles on the mission. How do I prepare? I, I'm coping well, meaning I can work my part-time job, I go to class, nobody has to wake me up, I, I'm not having panic attacks during class. You know that's one group. One group is the second group is, I have some mental health issues. I know that, but I'm, I'm getting help currently. I, I've been to therapy or I'm on medication, or my family and I, we talk about it, we know we're addressing it. And then there's a third group that I have some stuff going on and I know it, but I'm not doing anything about it and it's getting worse. So maybe if we can just talk about just to those individuals first, okay? And I I think it'd be really important to recognize that no matter how healthy you are physically and mental health issues, you'll be taxed on your mission in ways you've never been taxed.
3: Is it possible that I don't recognize that I have a mental health issue? That you're talking to me and I'm... I'm I'm perfectly fine. I can do this. There's no issue. Yeah.
2: If if it's the functional test, then that's okay. If you're doing all the things you have to do for as a 17-year-old, and I'm not saying perfectly, but you're doing them, and you're not being driven around, and no one's getting your grades for you that you shouldn't have, like you're earning your own grades, then you're in that category of you're doing fine right now. Okay? Okay. The functional test is the way to look at it. I know I'm not doing well because I've had to miss three days of school this week. And I had a part-time job and I had to quit because it was too stressful. And I really don't like leaving the house. And even when I went to the grocery store the other day with my mom, I was super stressed so much I had to wait in the car. So you'll know, just take the functional test. Are there things that I want to be doing and that I know I should be doing that I can't do because of my mental health? That's that's that category, which, by the way, isn't a sin. I I was listening to Elder Kapishka on the way in today. He gave that really delicate and powerful talk in October 2021 about their son who came home from his mission with serious mental health concerns. It's called Addressing Mental Health Concerns, but he said this really great thing. Challenges often indicate a need for additional tools and support and are not a character defect. So if you're having these challenges, it just means you need some additional help. That's all that means. It's just like a check engine warning light. You do something about it, right? You don't say, well, and I hope that... I have enough oil in there. We'll just see how it goes, <laughs> right? So, so the, each group. So if you're doing well right now, you just need to know on your mission, you'll be taxed beyond what you currently have ever experienced. The mission is more stressful and more relentless and more extensive than anything you've done. Uh, except for a few people who grow up on farms, you're not working 16 to 18 hour days. And except for a few people who are really into their schools, you don't have nine hours of class a day. That's the MTC, by the way. Right, so you'll be stretched, and you'll say, wow, I don't have enough resources. It's on page eight and nine in Adjusting to Missionary Life where it starts to talk about the difference between resources and demands. Okay, so in that, if you're in that category, you can just start talking and reading about mental health. You can start reading about Adjusting to Missionary Life. That would be a great start for you. For those of you that are in the category that you have some mental health struggles and you're working on it, make sure as you get closer to your mission that the skills you've learned from your therapist, you have internalized. You have written down, you know how to do on your own. That the medication you take is allowed in the mission where you go. That you know how to get refills. I can't tell you how many times in our mission we had trouble because California has a lot of regulations about getting medication refilled on time. It was just a problem. So you figure that stuff out before, before you go on your mission, right? As soon as you get your call, you figure out what's the generic of this medication. Will my parents' insurance cover it? How can I get it refilled? You don't wait till you get there and say, I'm not doing too well, President. How come? Well, it's been 30 days since I've had my anxiety medication refilled.
3: Perhaps this is a tangent, but what about, I'm I'm thinking, I'm taking this medication, but I know that if I disclose this, I will be sent to Bakersfield. Hey, first of all, <laughs> but I want to I want to go to I want to go to Fiji. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to go to where I want to go to Hawaii or or whatever. How how do I process that? And some I've seen
0: some people that quit taking their medication thinking that I'll have the spirit with me on the mission so I I don't need to take that any longer. Um, as well. It's kind of a related issue with that.
1: And perhaps another thing to add on that I'd love to hear your comments is that a uh, fear of disclosing my mental health on my mission papers for fear of not going to a foreign country or, or, or whatever it may be. Uh, what, thoughts on that?
2: So not all the experiences I share uh, will be from our own mission. And I certainly would never disclose where somebody comes from, but I don't want anyone to feel like I'm signaling out our missionaries. But I, I worked with a missionary once, who uh, came on the mission, um, disclosed after one the first day meltdown, um, and in a mental health position, I was in a position to know about this, um, there was a previous suicide attempt that was never disclosed. And uh, the missionary was there for three days in the field. And I asked the missionary, um, why didn't you say something about this? Because I was afraid I couldn't go. So is it better now that you came and went and have it? and this isn't true, But in the missionary's mind, a failure experience, was was it worth the lie? No. It's 10 times worse. So if you want to go to Fiji, save some money, and go on a vacation, you can't swim as a missionary anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to be able to snorkel, right? And so, so this is a really important quote from President Hinckley. There are parents and missionaries who say, if we can just get Johnny or Susie out on a mission, then the Lord will bless him with health or mental health it seems not to work out this way. Rather, whatever ailment or physical or mental struggle a missionary has when she or he comes into the field only becomes aggravated under the stress of the work. I never met a missionary who had less anxiety on their mission than before their mission. Never. Never. It just doesn't happen that way. Because as stress goes up, like for example, I have asthma. I have asthma since I was a child. Under stressful situations physically, my asthma's worse, not better, under stressful environmental conditions. A fire, right? It's never, it's never better. And it's a wow. I'm breathing better today now <laughs> that the air quality's 200, <laughs> right? So, so in answer to your question, it never works to lie in your paperwork. First of all, you start your mission from a dishonest place, and you know that, and it stays with you. Second is. The mission department is trying so hard through revelation and information to assign you to a place where you will be successful and where you will have the most positive impact. And if you're in bed five days a week, you will not have positive impact and you won't finish your mission. So you have to trust the system and give the information. How do you feel about driving next to someone who lied on their driver's license test who actually has epilepsy? Not that you can't, Drive when you have epilepsy, but you have to go through a six-month period. Without a seizure, you have to take the right medication. So they have a seizure on the interstate, and they hit you, and, you're, and you die, or a member of your family dies, and they say, well, I lied on it because I didn't want to not be able to drive. How would you feel about that? How would you feel if your surgeon lied on his medical exams? I'm actually an orthodontist, but I think your knee is going to turn out great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, that, it doesn't work in any setting. It doesn't work in any setting. So this is not a social thing. It is so hard to understand in high population areas. A mission is a privilege. It's not a right. You don't get to go. Nobody owes you it. Nobody owes you a mission. And second, we don't go on missions because everybody else is. That's a terrible reason to go on a mission. You're better to wait six months or a year, get your mental health in a good place and go out and feel like you could serve and be productive. There's no one that's it's harder on than you then you being out on a mission, you want to serve and you can't.
3: That's so hard. What I'm hearing is if I'm preparing to go on a mission, I disclose to the extent of maybe too much yep. in the process Yep. and then trust the Lord yep. in his divine way to assign me to wherever or whatever yes. I may do that yes. will bless my life. It's
0: yes. a reflection of a lack of faith in a way in the revelation process. Yep when we try to put ourselves where we want to be versus mm-hmm. just allowing God to place us where he wants us to be. I'd much rather be where God knows I need to be than, than to try to manipulate that myself. But in the moment, mm-hmm. when we're less mature, sometimes it's hard to remember that. So I, I just think that all of you listeners out there and parents, if, if you'll just really key in on what Jonathan's just taught us, it's, it's going to make a huge, huge difference.
2: L- let me give you a practical example. So I don't disclose, and I go, and I have issues. I have a long history of cutting. Uh, th- that's what I do. And by the way, let me just say something about cutting. If you ask people who self-injure why they're doing it, it's so that they can have some visual representation of what's hurting so badly on the inside. It's not deranged. It's not evil. It's not possessed. They don't know how to externalize a deep pain on the inside. So I don't, I don't say anything about that. Okay. And I go on a mission. And the stress gets high, and I cut. The mission department has three things that if they happen on the mission, the missioner goes home immediately. One is eating disorder, one is any self-injury, and another is any kind of psychotic break where I, I lose touch with reality. So now I go home instantly. And I was just having a bad day, and I was doing really well. On the other side, if you disclose everything, took this medication, went to therapy when they were 14, had some self-injury problems when they were 17, it all gets reported. It gets vetted by your stake president. It gets vetted in the mission department. You show up in the mission, and your mission leader says, hey, I saw that you had this struggle. Yeah, yeah, I did. Tell me about it. Well, this is what's going on in this time of my life. How'd you manage it? This is how I've done it. I haven't had a problem in five years. I, I haven't even thought about it since then. But president, I'll, I'll let you know. If I get even close. I'll let you know, because I want to serve. Which, which is the least painful path? Which is a better path? Mm-hmm. Above board means you get resources. Hidden means you don't get resources. That's, that's the, that's the trade. That's the trade off point. So let me say one thing about revelation though, going back to your point. So when we were interviewed to go on our mission as mission leaders, uh, it, it's a really sacred process. We were interviewed by Elder Rasband And then when we were interviewed, when we were extended the call by president Nelson, which was, you know, a really powerful experience. My wife turned to me and said, we're not the kind of people that meets with the prophet. I mean, that's just not who we are. That's not the circles we've ever swam in. And, uh, he asked this question. He says, is there anything you need to know? And I said, you know, my wife has some digestive problems, and we've been we've been told that it would be a Spanish-speaking mission. She doesn't speak Spanish, and it would probably be really important for her to be able to read labels because she just needs to know what she's eating. Mm-hmm. So President Nelson listened. He said, would you call this person and tell them that just so they can have the information? I said, sure. So, and, I, and I just want to emphasize again, I've never felt more seen or loved or heard in my life than when we sat with President Nelson his ability to be with you is just remarkable. I would say as a therapist, but as a disciple of Christ is just nothing like it. So I call over to this office forty five minutes later and they say, let me read to you the note President Nelson sent us in, in the forty five minute interview. This is the president of the church. And he had verbatim quoted everything that I had said. Because he wanted to make sure that Sister Sandberg could have a successful mission. That's what they do with your information. That's what they do. It's not, oh, they're on this disavowed list. <laughs> and by the way, Bakersfield's a great mission. <laughs> but, you know. Well, I know. We <laughs> served in Fresno. <laughs> Which is like the second best mission <laughs> in the world. Closely followed by Long Beach. Long <laughs> Beach, <laughs> that's right. I'll take third. Bronze, <laughs> Redlands.
1: Uh, I will never claim We'd fourth. Tied for third. never claim <laughs> We tied for third.
2: <laughs> but I just want you to know that's what they do with the information. They want you to be successful. God wants you to be successful. It's not a punishment. What about the last group? For those of you that know you have something going on, you have to do something really courageous. Super, super hard. You're going to have to reach out to somebody. And if you haven't told your parents and you have a good sense that they'll be understanding and helpful, you've got to talk to your parents. If you've tried to talk to your parents and just mental health isn't something your family does, they kind of make fun of it or, or resist it or something, then you probably need to reach out to your bishop. Or a trusted young women's leader, right? I, I love the fact that the young women's leader is in a in a role specifically described in the handbook as someone who can counsel with and support the women and the young girls in her young women's program. Isn't that a great thing? Mm. So you find maybe it's an aunt or an uncle, or maybe you have a really good relationship with your pediatrician, but you reach out to someone. You say I'm I'm struggling, and you tell them what's going on, and you ask for help. That's what you have to do. It's hard, but it's way better. It's way better. And then you talk to your wh- whether your family wants to use a pediatrician or a therapist or a psychiatrist to provide medication. There's lots of good ways to do it. There's not one way to do it, but uh, you have to address it. You have to address the anxiety or the depression or the OCD. You have to address it. And some people immediately say to me, I don't like medication. Look, I don't prescribe medication. I'm not getting a kickback. right? I'm just <laughs> saying you have, to, you have to do something. You can't do nothing. Because you'll be overwhelmed by the stress of a mission. And for those of you that go through it and you work on it and you're honest and you get the help you need and you're still probably the teaching mission, just it's not the right, it's just not the right gig for you, right? How great is the service mission? I mean, here in Orem, the service missionaries, the teaching missionaries all serve under the same mission present. They all go to the same zone conference, except for you still get to go to movies on the weekend. I mean, how... <laughs> i mean you're teaching in many cases there's not enough teaching missionaries so you're helping teach you're serving in the temple you're serving in organizations where you're really lifting people just as the savior did the savior did just as much lifting and healing as he did teaching by the way at least that's how i read the bible so you get to do that so you just once you're honest you serve the mission you can serve and if you're honest honorably excused from a mission move on with your life, make a good life of yourself, for yourself.
3: And I would think that if I have the, 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 strong desire to teach and I'm nervous, if I could just step back and trust in the Lord That's right. to, to disclose whatever is going on. And if the right choice is to serve a service mission, trust in the Lord, that that's the best, best. for me.
0: And I found in some cases, um, serving as a stake president, um, I work on the other side of those yeah. service missions a lot. And I found that normally, or not normally, but sometimes the call to be a service missionary is a lot easier for the missionary themselves to receive than sometimes their parents who have this vision of yeah. of sending their, their son off to some far distant place. And yeah. I think this you know, if we're ever going to change any kind of stigma that might exist with the service mission, it really will begin with the parents. Yeah. Any Anything to say to that?
2: Yeah. So you know how, for this for the young people, you know how you have to help me and your parents do things on your computer or the remote control that's super annoying to you? Like like my, my one time my daughter took the remote control and said, no one born before 2000 should handle this. <laughs> right? Okay, so it takes me 10 minutes, A, <laughs> B, you know, to go... But but you just have to be patient with your parents say, hey, hey, Mom and Dad, that's the 1970s mission. That's that's just not today. And it takes a while for us to catch up. It's not that we're dumb or we're resistant. It's just different for us. And we're just behind, and that's okay. Yeah. But you have to be patient with us, just like teaching us how to find a family history name. It's, it's kind of the same kind of thing.
3: Well, I think also we have a tendency to desire something that's good mm-hmm. and then want to manipulate the outside yeah. to accommodate my desire right. rather than just to step back and say I'm in the Lord's hand. Yeah, here's Here here I am. Yeah. I lived
2: in the Northeast for a while. And at one point, the average of young men going from deacon to on a full-time mission was one in 19. So it was rare. And it was a big celebration anytime anybody did. But nobody looked down on somebody who didn't go on a mission because that was a struggle that we all understood and we all had it in our own family. But the currency for good parenting out here in the West is just a little weird, it's just a little wonky. You know, it's it's, did my kid go to this university and did my kid serve this kind of mission? And if not, then I'm a bad parent. What's unbelievably (laughs) self-centered. Your children's choices aren't really about you. And that's hard for us as parents to step back and say, that's a good kid. They may be going on a different path right now, but that's a good kid, I know, because I've been around the whole time. That's a good kid. And they'll figure it out. But it, we put a lot of social currency into serving missions, right? And that's not the right reason. We serve missions because we love God and Jesus Christ and because the gospel blessed our life and we want other people to do that, to have that blessing too. And, and that's just tough because um, there's a lot of social pressure. So don't let's not, I love your statement, let's not fix the outer wrapper to disguise what's going on in the inside. I mean, the new uh, for Strength of Youth, listen to this great line. It's normal to feel sad or anxious from time to time when you're unable to cope with these feelings and recover from them. There's a great phrase. When you're unable to cope with them and recover from them, that may be a sign of mental or emotional challenges that require some help. Isn't that just a beautiful statement? And then you can get help from a parent, a leader, a doctor, a professional counselor. Such help can be a blessing from your loving Heavenly Father. If you've ever had thoughts of harming yourself or ending your life, please seek help right away. You're loved. You're valuable. You're needed.
1: Beautiful. Isn't that? It's a great message you'd want everybody to hear that might be struggling with mental health. It's That comes from our Heavenly Father. There's a spirit about that. Um, you're getting a sense of what it was like to be in presidency meeting when I was with Jonathan, <laughs> right? As I just took notes. I just I just gleaned and learned and took notes. Jonathan, as we come to a close at this part, talking about mental health yeah. before the mission. Is there anything else you'd want to add there? Or, uh, yeah, there's just one part I want to add.
2: So um, Elder Renland at the last general conference in April spoke in what was on Saturday night in that conference, a women's session. And his theme was the young women's theme. Is that what it's called now? The young women's theme? Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, I want you to think about the beauty of this statement. First of all, your beloved daughter, certainly we could say son, but I'll just read it as he wrote it. Nothing you do or do not do can change that. God loves you because you are a spirit daughter. Sometimes we may not feel his love, but it's always there. God's love is perfect. Our ability to sense that love is not. Our sense of God's love may be blunted by challenging circumstances such as physical or mental illness. So sometimes when we're really anxious or depressed, we don't feel God's love and we don't feel our prayers are being answered. And the signals there, we just can't receive it. And mental illness messes up with our receiver. I just had to change out a router in our house and I'm not a tech guy. But I've, I, it's a great visual image with those six antennas of s- broadcasting a message and then receiving a message. And one reason we want to work on our mental health because it gets in the way of us feeling God's love. And then we can believe all kinds of things that aren't true. God's bad, or I'm bad, or the church is bad. And those feelings come when we feel hurt over and over again and lonely. So that's the main reason you want to get help because a mission's actually just to prepare you to be a good husband and father, wife and mother anyway. And mental health will always get in the way there. It'll always be a struggle. We do the best we can with it, and then we move forward. But We have to stop pretending and denying. Get the help now you need, and you'll be a better missionary.
0: I was working with a young man who had severe scrupulosity. Yeah, it's tough. Toxic perfectionism and he associated his perfectionism, his inability to feel God's love as a spiritual problem. And yeah. what I tried to help him understand is that that was a mental health problem. That's right. Not a spiritual problem. And I think when when a missionary can understand or any of us can understand, "Wait, well, I'm experiencing a mental health issue that's maybe blocking a signal," rather than I'm experiencing a spiritual issue that, that demonstrates that God doesn't exist. Yep. You know? and, and so I, I counseled him to try to use some of his other senses to see God's hand in his life, to, to get a journal and to, mm-hmm. to write down when he, he saw miracles taking place that, that perhaps were, were through different senses rather than just whether or not I felt God's love. Perfect. As we conclude this session, could you just speak to the role of the Savior mm-hmm. in, in helping a person through mental health challenges and, and how somebody could, could maybe draw closer to the Savior as they, they seek to, to grow in this area?
2: You bet. So um, I, I just want to say very, very clearly that all healing comes from the Savior. All light comes from the Savior. It comes in lots of sources. For anyone that's done yoga or Tai Chi, they know that's healing. That may have started in India, but that comes from the Savior. All light and all healing comes from the Savior. And whatever we can do to add more light and whatever we can do to turn to him will help us with our mental health. President Oak says it best. He said, God heals us in two ways. One, he removes the problem that we have. Or two, he gives us the strength to deal with the problem we have. Now, the second one's much more common. Because we grow more that way. Sometimes he does remove a problem. But that's like, in my experience as a therapist and a priesthood leader, 10% of the time, 90% of the time we get help and strength. Because one main reason is so we can help other people after we've gone through that problem. Then what's the point of suffering if we can't use it to help other people? So you turn to the Savior and you follow his counsel and you'll find healing in your life. That's a a true statement. It comes in different times and different ways. But you find healing through Jesus Christ. He's the source of all healing. And sometimes healing requires us to go different ways in different places than we want. You know, President Oak's father died. His mom went immediately to college to try to make money, and he was seven, and he went to get an education to make money. And he went to live with his uh, grandparents, and his mom under the pressure of it all had a nervous breakdown and spent a, a long period of time in, a, in those days used to be a state mental hospital. And President Oak said, I thought my life was over. He talks really openly about that. He said, my mom found healing and I found healing. We had a good life. But there are dark moments. We turn to the Savior in the dark moments, not away from him.
0: Yeah, thank you. Well, what a wonderful conversation we've been able to have so far on this first aspect of mental health, which is the, the pre-mission aspect and what we can do to prepare now for those missions. And, and Jonathan, we look forward to... Great having you back to to talk about maybe how we can help uh, missionaries once once they get into the field. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Preach My Gospel Mission Prep Podcast and that it helps you in your study of Preach My Gospel and preparing you for your mission. Please join us for our next episode. And if you feel this podcast might be helpful to others preparing to serve a mission, please invite them to join us on our journey through and discovery of Preach My Gospel. For more information on how to get Institute credit for this podcast and other offerings by the Utah Valley Institute of Religion, please visit utahvalleyinstitute.com. You may also find us on Instagram at preachmygospelpodcast. Feel free to send questions or comments to Podcast at gmail.com. The Preach My Gospel Mission Prep podcast is produced with the permission of the Utah Valley Institute of Religion. The hosts are expressing their personal views based on their own experiences, applying the principles of Preach My Gospel, and accept full responsibility for the content in these podcast episodes.